We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. Let's stand and read this morning from the passage out of the book of Judges, chapter 7, verses 1 through 11, all together. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men encamped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. <clears throat> All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up. Go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. This is the word of the Lord. If you've ever felt like you're missing out on your chance to do something important in the world, you are not alone. Regret is rampant among us. Regardless of your chronological age, old, young, in between, you can get to that point where you feel like you've squandered your chance or like you just don't have it in you to do work that really matters or brings lasting good to someone. It seems one of the favorite themes of the Bible is the just when you thought it was too late, it turns out, to, it, turns out it wasn't theme. Abraham thought he would die without an heir. Moses thought he had lost his chance to see his people live free. Anna prayed until her 80s for a sign from God when at last she saw a savior rise in Israel. Simeon could now die as a hope-filled man because finally he held the Christ in his arms. Is it too late for you? If God let you shape the world, what would it look like? 
Well, in fact, God did create you to shape the world. From the very beginning, the Bible reveals that human beings are to make something of this world. From managing the earth and its resources to making art, to founding civilizations, to exploring the heavens, God made humans to follow in his footsteps as creative beings. Whenever we explore or build or form or invent, we do what God made us to do. And it's how human beings move into a good future. We're continuing to look at the book of Judges, which gives us the history of God's activity in the world with the nation of Israel. God called the nation to follow him and work with him to bring the human race back from the brink of destruction. Through Israel, God was bringing hope to the whole world. From this nation came the Christ, the Savior of all who count on him. But that was yet to come. Right now, here in Judges, Israel's just trying to stay alive as a nation. The latest threat comes from the Midianite nation, which is brutally oppressing Israel. Gideon is the latest in a line of deliverers to rise and lead Israel in moral renewal and national security, eventually vanquishing the enemy and restoring peace to the nation. But Gideon didn't exactly stir excitement. He didn't seem to exude enthusiasm. He was not someone we would call a man of bombast. I mean, bombast describes a certain brio or bluster. And we often know it's more of a show, but we can get to the point where we at least low-key like to see that kind of thing in leaders. Bravado and all that, you know. That's often why you see powerful totalitarian leaders arise in a time of crisis, because everybody's looking for certainty and answers and conclusiveness. No questioning, no deliberation, just assuredness. Even church folks in our society have gone down that road somewhat. For years on the radio, you could tune into the Bible Answer Man show. Pretty good show, actually. That sounds solid and dependable, doesn't it? The Bible Answer Man. Who would tune into the Bible Question Man? I mean, <laughs> they probably test marketed that and said, that's not really working for you, Hank. Let's, uh, let's get the Bible Answer Man going. We like to know that somebody out there has the solution. But Gideon just wasn't the answer man. He wasn't bombastic. He wasn't full of answers. When Gideon entered the room, he didn't command attention. He wasn't thrilling or entertaining as far as we can see. We would not call him decisive or assertive. He did not fit what we would recognize as a can-do, self-assured, nerve, uh, nerves-of-steel leader. In fact, he was quite certain of his ability to get things exactly wrong. He often didn't trust his own mind. At every step along the way, Gideon acted only after deep reflection, prayer, introspection, that's all good for stay-at-home types, never venturing far, preachers maybe. But 
for a general about to head into a decisive battle with a long-standing oppressor? Are you kidding me right now? We see this as weird, unwise, maybe dangerous. We kind of know we're not supposed to think it's weird. We're good Christian people after all. But it's weird. Gideon had gotten as far as raising an army, an army of thousands. This was getting serious. Time was growing short. Every moment counted. People were suffering. They were. Something had to be done, and Gideon stopped. He just shut everything down. He halted the forward momentum because the doubts were too intense, and they kept coming. He had to know if he was thinking straight. Gideon occupied himself with darker thoughts and questions, such as, am I seeing this correctly? Is this really the way? The army had begun to train for deployment, but where was Gideon? He was out wrestling with doubt and asking God for a sign to let him know that this was indeed the way to go. That was last week's story of the fleece. Gideon could have opted for bombast. He could have attempted to keep up appearances of a completely doubt-free general for the sake of army morale, but Gideon decided that that wasn't true to his character. If they wanted bombast in a commander, they could hire someone like Samson. Or if they wanted tough-as-nails savagery in a general, they could hire Deborah's colleague, J.L. Remember her? She could have armed the men with government-issued tent pegs. Wow. If they wanted a hardcore hitman for a leader, they could hire Ahude, that left-handed knife wielder. But Gideon wasn't bombastic like Samson or savage like J.L. He wasn't full of steely-eyed stealth like Ahude. He was, he was just Gideon. An introverted, introspective, skeptical farmer from Manasseh. That's hard to say, everybody. That's hard to say. <laughs> and he did what any honest, here we go again, introverted, introspective, skeptical farmer from Manasseh would do. He turned to God with his doubts about his own perspective on things. Doubt drove him towards the knowledge of what's real. And then he was convinced of that reality after the fleece incident. And then he kept on raising an army. Okay, then Gideon continued training the army and then he deployed the army. Now, if there were ever a time to leave behind all hesitation, it was now. This was battle cry time. This was go time, but no. There was yet another delay. And get this, this time, this time, the suspension of activities didn't come from Gideon. It came from God himself. In a beautiful twist in this story, God after having observed all the organizing and the field exercises and the drills that it takes to create a premium fighting force that is going to have any chance of success, 
God says to Gideon, hold up, there's a problem. God pared down the numbers precisely because he had seen Gideon take this vast army through their maneuvers. And here's what God saw. He saw that the army was going to be a workaround for Gideon's restrained, reticent personality. That wasn't going to cut it. You know why? Because then people would understand that it's only the big, outsized, we're better than you show of force that wins the day. If Gideon himself couldn't be the shock and awe kind of leader people wanted, then the army he commanded was going to be the shock and awe force in which they could all put their confidence. And everybody wins. Gideon's still the leader. This massive fighting force gets the job done. The army was going to be the workaround for all that Gideon lacked. It made sense. In spite of Gideon's shyness and self-doubt, the military force would get it done and it would all work out. But that means there's no room for humility and certainly no room for God's handiwork, which is his calling of people to use their gifts and skills, whatever they are. God wanted Gideon to do this the way that Gideon would do this. And a big crushing, bruising show of military force was not Gideon. It was a way around Gideon. It assumed that somebody like Gideon needed supplementing because the way that God had made Gideon wasn't enough. Do you see this? A big, powerful juggernaut of an army was an admission that the person God made and called didn't have what it takes. This wasn't Gideon. It was a workaround. But God wanted Gideon. He insisted on it. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. Or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. God and Gideon worked so well together because Gideon wasn't trying to be Samson or Jael or Ahud. He was just trying to understand how to be Gideon with the assignment he'd been given. That is the brilliance of somebody coming to understand the way God made him was exactly enough. He didn't need a workaround. That would only have obscured the truth that God had made Gideon just right. Israel would have come to believe that my own strength has saved me, God says. God made Gideon enough to lead this task, and Israel didn't need to make up for any supposed shortcomings in Gideon's character. No workarounds here. God will work with you as you are. He won't make excuses for you because he believes in you, in his handiwork. God wants you. He insists on it. And God built a victory that looked like Gideon. The building of that victory was a process in which Gideon understood that paring down the size of the army had become necessary. He was in the zone of authentic leadership knowing that attributes like force or size were not qualities that fit how God had made him to move in the world. 
This victory building process took shape in two phases. First, notice verse 3. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. That was phase one. And now more training took place for any force, fighting force to be worth its salt. That's got to happen. And God gave Gideon the opportunity to work with this smaller troop number. And then some, something still didn't feel right. Gideon spent more time reflecting, praying, introspecting, doing thought experiments. However, he and God communicated with each other. And we're not told how that happened, but we're told that he and God communicated with each other. And then Gideon understood that a further paring down of troop strength was necessary in verse 4. The Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. It appeared to be a risky move from a military perspective, but Gideon was gaining peace each time he lost troops. So to Gideon, it felt less like risk and more like possibility. And so verse seven, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. And the result fit the leader. The fighting force was small, but it was no longer inauthentic. The victory was a work that Gideon and all Israel could recognize as the work of Gideon because it looked just like him. That's not to say that Israel did not recognize heaven's hand in this battle. Not at all. But let's all understand the importance of trusting that a leader or a co-laborer or partner in any endeavor of life. Let's all understand the importance of trusting that that person is working with you and keeping the mission in mind instead of keeping appearances in mind. You've got to be able to trust that person. If Gideon had been trying to copy Samson or Deborah or Ahud, it would have taken about five minutes for people to detect phoniness in him. If you ask somebody to trust you, you better ask somebody to trust you, not some image you have in your head. God knew this, and he taught it to Gideon through this experience. He taught Gideon to be confident as the person God had made. It's as if he said to Gideon, every general is leading vast armies. Everybody's doing that, but that's not you. You're not everybody else. You're you. You lead a small strike force. I don't love the image you've got in your head. It's you I love. It's what Jesus told Peter. I don't love the image you've got of being the better person than John. It's you I love. That's who's going to shape this world with me. The same goes for you today. You, me, all of us. The army took on the characteristics of Gideon's own character. Unassuming, modest, unpretentious, humble. This is how God would lead Gideon to do the work that needed doing. 
God confirms that Gideon is taking the right actions by his further words of reassurance to him in verses 10 and 11. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Torah and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. That's God's tender reassurance every step of the way. The wisdom of a massive army metamorphizing into a powerful force Gideon could work with. God knew that anything else would have led to disaster because it would not have been something Gideon would have recognized as his work. If the leader is unsure, everything else is lost. If the leader recognizes his or her own personality and skill set in the work that's being done, the leader is operating in the zone that God has made the leader to occupy. And so later on, the army could rightly say, this small strike force, for the Lord and for Gideon, because they knew they were following somebody who was being himself, the, the self that God made him to be. And that brings us to you. Have you ever felt some incongruence with your work or with the expectations that society has put in front of you as if something just didn't fit with the way God made you? Meet Gideon and receive from God's hand the vision that God has for your life and your work. God made you to shape the world in some way, large or small, all of it important. What would that look like? Every time, every time hope, renewal, and restoration come to this world, there's a human being involved who's listening to God. It was Deborah, it was Gideon, it was Mary, it was Paul. And when God worked his mighty power to save humanity, you know what he did? He became a human being. Jesus Christ. That's how much God thinks of humans. And even Jesus was raised on these stories. Don't you dare think those stories didn't make a difference to him. If Gideon could do what this world needed, you can do what this world needs. Zechariah chapter 4 reminds us, who dares despise the day of small things? Or some translations say, say, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Gideon's unassuming, modest, ordinary, simple way echoes the way of Jesus himself. God is shaping this world, and he's not going to do it without human hands, including yours. Jesus said, you'll do greater works than he did when he was among us. What he means is that we have not even begun to understand the kind of power and ability we have built into us by God to shape the world. And that power and ability will yield good things with God's guidance. You want, you want to stretch out your hand and do some good in this world with deep confidence. You know you want to do that. What if Jesus himself were to become your teacher, your mentor, your master, your Lord? 
He will save you from missing the mark that he made you to hit. Tell him all your doubts, all your doubts, like Gideon did. Whatever your deepest longing is, you'll find it in Jesus. Get to know him. Count on him. Start with the Gospels. Read, read who this man is. Get to know him. And then count on him with your whole heart. See if he isn't the most trustworthy, the wisest, the strongest, the most peace-filled, the most generous, the most welcoming person you've ever known. Let's spend just a moment of silence letting these deep truths from God's Word sink in. Gideon's life and how that echoes our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ and what He wants to do in your life. Take just a few moments and think on these things. stand together. Would you do that, please? Can we just all stand? You've tried to live without God. Or you've even tried to live contrary to God because you've been trying to secure your own place in the world. And that's understandable. We, we all want to do that. But you will not find that secure place without God. You will not. You will find it with Jesus Christ, though. The God-man himself. Christ will train you and open your eyes to the possibilities you never knew. He will teach you to live his kind of life, which is the only kind of life that is eternal. He will not punish you for having gone wrong, but instead will forgive you and make you into the person he never stopped believing you could be because he knows you from the beginning. Will you turn to him? Turn to him today and start counting on him with your whole heart. You have these next few moments to think that through. I'm going to be standing right down here at front to pray with you about turning to Jesus Christ. Come pray for those you know and love who do not know Christ. Pray for the whole world that does not know Christ. But you come as we sing this morning. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.